but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, we sing of your son and his return, Uh, and we look at the world in chaos, and we long for him to return. We look for uh, peace where uh, Islam is in its evil, killing Christians and killing innocent children and and persecuting those who do not fall in line, and we long for peace. Uh, We long for the Prince of Peace. We see... Uh, strife in our own country and and struggle with uh, just so many things, and we long for peace, and we know that there will be no peace until Christ returns, but Lord, while we wait, may Christians be found not reviling in return, not uttering threats, uh, but, but blessing instead, as Peter says. Lord, I pray for our our troops, our military, many husbands and, and, and folks are gone from our body, dads, moms that are not here right now because they're over defending us, they're, they're fighting for freedom and they're, they're rescuing uh, the widow and the orphan and so we pray for their safety, we pray that uh, the evil would be con- conquered, that the government would bear the sword for, no- for nothing, that as Peter says that uh, the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who are right is the purpose of government. And so we pray that that would take place. Pray for protection for them and bring them back safely to us. Um, pray for uh, our time now as we kind of focus on the book of Acts again as we opened it last week. Lord, I'm tired. Uh, it's been a long 24 hours, but I'm, I'm excited for one more opportunity to share with your people this morning. Please give me the physical strength I need. Most importantly, Lord, may your spirit speak through me, a uh, just a broken, tired guy who really has nothing to say in my own. But, but with your spirit and, and with your word, I pray that you would help me to be a workman who is not ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth, that, that you would help me to fan into flame one more time the gift of God in me, because you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So I ask Holy Spirit for you to fill me one last time this morning. And may your church, Lord Jesus, may your church be glorifying you. May they be built up. May they be encouraged. And may your name be exalted in this place. For your sake and for your reputation, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. All right. I do not like waiting. I was reminded of this when I was waiting in line to pick up my kids from the nursery upstairs. Um, 
A few weeks ago, my son and I were on a plane. And don't you love, for those of you who've been on planes before, what happens is like, they're like, okay, flight number 637, the uh, boarding now and gate A1. And 700 people all of a sudden stand up and boom, they head to the gate. Why? I have no clue. It's not like seat 43B is going anywhere, right? It, the plane is not going to leave you. It doesn't leave for an hour and a half. They just board early, all right? It's the same thing when the plane lands. What happens? Lands in the thing, the gate opens, you're in row 74B. And everyone does what? As soon as it lands, they stand up. And they just, as if they can get through everybody, get to the front of the plane. You just wait for 40 hours before you get off the plane, right? Why? Because we hate to wait. We hate waiting at the doctor's office. We hate, hate, hate waiting on Duren. We hate waiting for vacation. We hate waiting at the checkout line for the person who has not yet discovered this miraculous thing called the debit card. They're still writing checks. Oh, and they can't find their license. Oh, and I don't know where my license is. Lady, get the debit card. That's what I want to say. We hate it. If you're that person, we have counselors for you outside. Uh, We'll we'll sign you up for the debit. But we don't like waiting, but that is exactly where Jesus left the disciples last week, right? We, we cracked open the book of Acts, and we said, okay, Acts is part two. It's the second book. It's, it's Godfather two, and there's a Godfather one, right? It's, it's the book of Luke, and Luke covers Jesus' life from birth till he sends back into heaven. The book of Acts picks up right where he left off, and Jesus, before he goes back into heaven, says, I got a mission for you. You are going to be my witnesses, right? You are my testimony. You're going to point people to me. This wave of grace that I started, this, 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 this love and this hope that I offer, you guys are going to point to me, right? And it's because I'm alive, and it's because I'm sending the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's because I'm coming back, and there's expectancy you can do this. But he says, but I want you to wait. Not yet. You got to wait, right? Wait. And so they're waiting, and, and, and if you read the scripture, it's amazing to see how much waiting there is. Like in Genesis 3, God promises a redeemer, a rescuer, a savior. Only takes 4,000 years for him to show up. Just a little bit of time, right? How long does it take Noah to build the ark? It's going to rain in 100 years. Start building. Abraham, you're going to have a son. And in him, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Great. 20 years later, the people of Israel, I have a land for you. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. You're going to go down to Egypt for just a couple of years, and then you're coming out. How many years? 440 years. David, you're going to be the king. I'm going to anoint you with oil, and you're going to be my king, a man after God's own heart. Isn't that great? Anoint him with oil. How many years? 15 years later, he finally becomes king. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Get ready. At the end of Revelation, I'm coming back. It's only been 2,000 years, three weeks, seven hours, give or take a couple weeks. Wait, 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 right? And not just for silly things like the lady who fills out the check and needs to get a debit card. There's real legitimate waiting, isn't there? Some of you have been waiting for Mr. Right. When am I going to meet him? Some of you have been waiting a couple years and you haven't had kids and you're waiting God, are you going to give us kids? We're waiting on that adoption to come through. Are we going to get to go? Some of you are waiting for that, that chronic back pain to finally be done. Are we going to go away ever? Is my husband ever going to get a new job? Is we ever going to have any money? 
Is that that 23-year-old kid ever going to come back? Right? Is, is this deployment ever going to end? Is, is, this, is this season ever? I'm just waiting. So, so it's almost as if sometimes our life, it's like God hit the pause button and we're just on hold. Waiting. Right? So what do we do in those times of waiting? How do you handle them? Right? We're going to look today as we look at the next part of the book of Acts. Remember I told you, we're not reading this book like it's a book of history. It's a, it's a map for us. Yes, it is historical. Yes, it is true. But it's, 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 it's something for us who are moving in a direction, who are going somewhere, who are continuing this story of the church, who God says, you now, CBC, you are my witnesses. This is our story. And so what do these guys do? They're on a 10-day waiting mission. They don't know it's going to be 10 days. It got, Jesus says it's going to be a little bit. How do they handle waiting? I think there's some great lessons there for us as we jump in the text today. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 1. If you haven't found it yet, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Open it up. Right? The fifth book of the New Testament. At Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. And if you don't know where that is, it's no biggie. Open to the very front. Got a table of contents. Find the book of Acts. And we're on the first page of that. All right? Pick it up in verse 12. It says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So we, we, we left off, and the disciples are just watching Jesus float away, and they're like, man, I didn't see that coming. And they're just staring there. Finally, God's going to send an angel down. Get those guys out of there. They look stupid. They're just looking up in the sky. So the angels come down and say, guys, wake up. He's coming back. All right? He's not coming back right now, but he's coming back eventually. So you guys go. And so what do they do? They return to Jerusalem. They're on the Mount of Olivet. It's a Sabbath day journey that's about a half a mile in our vernacular. They're a half a mile east of the city, the Mount Olivet. You can go there today. It's still there. Jesus preaches some sermons there. It's a very significant. He's going to come down the one day, return there one day. But it's right outside. They head back into Jerusalem, and they head to the upper room, all right? We don't know if it's the same upper room that the Lord's Supper was in. Maybe, maybe not. All right, we don't know for sure. But it's an upper room, and in those days, they had these houses on the first floor, kind of where people lived, and then the upstairs would be like an attic. It's real big. It's real open. Not big like this room big, but big enough that you can fit 120 people in. No AC. It's hot, all right? So 120 people up there, and there's different groups, and Luke's going to be very specific about who's there. He's going to say Peter there, John there, James there, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Eleven guys, Right? And who are those 11? Those are the 12 minus one. Who's missing? Judas Iscariot. Now, there is a Judas there. You see his name at the end. How'd you like being one of the disciples? Hey, what's your name? You're one of the disciples. I'm Judas. Oh, you're him, huh? No, 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 no. I'm the son of James, Judas. Different guy. In fact, if you read some of the Gospels, his, he's called Thaddeus. I think he... Can't prove it, but I think he changed his name afterwards. I think he's like, I ain't Judas no mas. All right? I'm, I'm Thaddeus. Just call me Thad, right? <laughs> Judas is, the whole Judas thing is done, right? But there's 11 guys there. Who else is there? It says, these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. So there's some ladies there. Who are the women? There's like 78 Marys in the New Testament, all right? All the Marys are there. All the Marthas are there. These ladies who were critical in the, in the ministry and life of Jesus. And, and it's important that the, the ladies are there. Here's why. Because women were devalued in that culture, and they are critical at the early church. They play a huge role in the early church. Who were the first people to see the risen Christ? The ladies. 
Who are the only ones with the guts to show up at the cross besides John? Not Peter, not Bartholomew, not Thaddeus, the women. And it shows that the women played an essential role in the early church. They were there. And you got, the, you got Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, right? She's in this, in this mix. That, if I would, I, I just want to be honest. If Mary, the mother of God, was in my congregation, I'd have a hard time being the pastor of that church. Just saying. I'd be looking in the back after the sermon. Was that okay? Right, ask your son if that sermon was all right, right? You know? It's hard. It's intimidating. The mother of God is in your, in your group. And who else? His brothers. Now, this is a critical statement. When we taught the book of James just a couple months ago, what do we say? That Jesus' brothers, he had four of them. When, when Jesus was doing his ministry, they thought he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They thought he was wacko. They're, he's out preaching. He's saying he's the son of God. He's, he's saying he's Messiah. He's creator. He's saying all these things. And they're thinking, somebody go get Jesus and bring him in here. He's lost his marbles. We need to get him, we need to get him on some medication, Right? He's embarrassing the family. They thought he was nuts. Until what? Until he comes back from the dead. There's, it's a powerful statement about the resurrection and what it does. That these four guys who thought he was a wacko are now there with the, the leaven, with the mother of Jesus, with the women. And what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying with one accord. They're devoting themselves to prayer. The, t- the text, the idea is they're persevering in prayer is what the word means. They're holding fast to prayer. And I want, you to, I want you to put your mind there. I know we read the scripture like it's just like some pie in the sky. When you read narrative especially, put yourself in the narrative. What's going on here? This is not some fancy potluck for the disciples and the ladies. And oh, who's, who brought the mac and cheese? Oh, who brought the chicken? Right? Isn't this a fun time together? Think about what's going on. Jesus has been crucified by the people out there. They don't like him. They still don't like him. They don't like you because you're one of his followers. You're one of 120 Christians, the only 120 Christians there are, okay? Not only that, there is some serious grieving going on here. Why, why would I say that? Jesus is gone. Where is he at? He's in heaven. He's not coming back for a while. What is, if you're a mom and your son goes away and the next time you get to see your son is when you die... That's kind of sad. Put yourself in that, that place, mothers. Your brother, the next time you see your brother is when you're in heaven. Your mentor, your best friend, he's gone and I don't get to see him again until I die. That, that's, yes, I know he's alive, but there, there's, that's a hard deal. And not only that, and we'll get into this in a little bit, Judas, one of your boys, betrayed you. Betrayed Jesus, he's dead. That's a hard deal. This is a hard, this is not a celebration per se. They are waiting, and waiting is always hard when there's when there's grief, right? It's always hard when there's pain. And what do they do? They pray. What do we do when we are waiting? When it's as if God has said, hold. You know what we do? We pray. While we're waiting, we pray. It's the first thing. Now, look, I'm a man, and I don't like to sit around and do nothing. 
I'm, I want to move. I'm, I want to be busy. I wanna, if I feel like I'm sitting and doing nothing, I feel like I'm wasting time. I feel like I'm, I'm just kind of, well, I, I got to do something. I got I to gotta do something. I got to fix something. I got to cast vision. I got to do something. But what this text is reminding me and what I think God is teaching his disciples is that praying always precedes doing, that prayer always precedes mission. It precedes doing something. What do we do? We do, and then we pray. And then we have to pray, God, I messed up and blew this thing up, so can you fix it? Because I didn't pray before, and it's all messed up now, and I got to clean up this mess that I did because I didn't pray. Doing is always preceded by praying. It's a huge lesson for us, right? And I know in the church, there's this mindset, well, all we can do is pray. Yeah, all we can do is pray to the sovereign God who rules the universe and does it all with the power of his right hand. Yeah, all we can do, right? That's the mentality. Have you thought about prayer? Just spend some time this week just thinking about prayer, listen to a couple sermons and just certain things guys were talking. I was like, man, I didn't even think about it. Think about prayer. You are one of seven billion-ish people, give or take a couple hundred million, you know, whoever knows. One of seven billion people, right? And when you pray, and it doesn't matter what language you pray in, it doesn't matter if you're out loud, if you're whispering, if you're in your head, if you're quiet, whatever. As soon as you pray, God already knew what you are going to pray before you are going to pray it, but he hears you. You and the rest of the seven billion people, if they were praying. At our dinner table every night, we go around and we'll say, okay, what did you do today? What was your best thing, Sam? What was your... And all the, sometimes the kids will all be talking at once. We're like, hey, oh, one at a time. I can't hear you. That's not what God does. God's not like, okay, CBC, you got 60 seconds. Everyone ready? Go, pray. Woo! All right, we're going to First Baptist. Ready, pray, boom. First Pres, you guys pray. I can only handle one church at a time. All of us at once praying. God hears us. If it's just you and him, he hears. And here's another thing that's amazing. Where is God? I know he's everywhere, but where is Jesus Christ right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Where's that? You can say it's, it's up, but it can't really be up. Because if you go, it's up, and if people in China go, it's up, you're going the other way. It can't be both of them, right? It's kind of like two different directions, okay? There's not, it's, not, it's the third heavens, Paul was taking. What does that mean? I don't really know. Is it another dimension? I guess. I don't know. But think about it. It's not close. It's not in Richmond Hill. Oh, they just go down to heaven, down to Richmond Hill. But, you know. No, it's somewhere far. You pray, one of seven billion people. God hears you immediately. Where is he? Another dimension somewhere. I, I don't know. But he answers and he moves and he intercedes when we don't know what to pray the Spirit. That's a, that is a miracle. That it, it's, it should be mind-boggling where Peter says that the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ear attends their prayer. It's as if God's like, I'm listening to you. And you, and I move, and I answer, and I sovereignly direct according to my will. That, that's a miraculous thing, right? It's huge. And here's a couple things that happen when we pray. Besides God moving and answering and directing and healing and doing all sorts of things. And one of, and one of them is highlighted in the text. It says, all these were with one accord. And the idea there is there's unity. We're going to see it again in chapter 2. That there is a unity. What prayer does is prayer unifies. It's hard to pray with somebody 
when you're like, I don't really like that person. It's hard to not like them when you're praying for them, right? And some of you, you have, you have conflict galore in your life. You and your teenager cannot get along. You know what you need to do with that 17-year-old? You need to go into his room or her room tonight at 9.45 when they just woke up from their nap <laughs> and sit on the end of the bed with them and say, Bub, I know things have been a little bit tense between us. Can we just pray together? Just me and you. Can I pray for you? It's hard to be mad at your 17-year-old when you're praying for him with him. Some of you, you know, you ladies are living together. No, no, she didn't do the dishes. The trash came out. She take up the bathroom. Right? You know what you need to do with that, with, with that situation? On Sunday evenings, when everyone's 9 o'clock, everyone's kind of there. Ladies, we just need to spend, let's, every week, let's commit to pray with each other and for each other, for each other's weeks. It's hard to be mad at her for trashing the bathroom. Because guys don't really care. That's why I say ladies. Guys are like, trash, man, I don't care. I'm going to trash it too, right? So <laughs> the girls, to pray with each other, right? Married people. I know you never have conflict because we're perfect. But those of you who do, if you got lots of fighting and lot, it's, it's that one of those rough patches, you need to spend some time in the evening, in the morning, whatever it is, just praying for each other, praying with each other. I'm telling you, I never see a couple come in for marriage counseling that, that can't get along that's been praying for each other every night. Never see it. I'm just telling you. Because there is something unifying. You will not see a church split over the color of the paint in the fellowship hall that's praying together. It will not happen. Because if they're praying for each other and with each other, if they're praying in their community groups for one another, they are not going to care if it's pink or blue. They're not. Because there's unity. There's something about praying that unifies why the church needs to pray. That's why in our community groups, it's it's a huge part of what they do together as they gather, as they pray, because it unifies. But there's something else it does. Prayer changes things because God moves. But you know what else it changes? It changes the guy or girl who prays. I pray specifically for each one of my four kids. I got a verse that I pray for each one. And I find myself when I, it's, it's amazing. I'm praying for this one and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm praying this for him, but I'm not that. Oop. And there's something about praying for this child. I, I want this child to be respectful to his mama. Have I been respectful to my wife this week in front of those kids? Ooh. Now let's not talk about that. Let's talk about him. He's 14. Yeah. But that's what praying does. I want my children to be obedient. Have I modeled obedience? To God this week for my children? Ooh. Right? See where I'm going? When you're praying for other people, it's amazing how God changes you. And you see the areas that, ooh, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe God's trying to do a work here. It changes us. Right? It changes us. If you're in that position of waiting, I don't know if it's a 10-minute waiting or if it's a 10-year waiting. These guys, what do they do? They are devoting themselves. They are, they are persevering in what? In prayer. Together. All of them. And God does a great work in them. But something else happens in the context of the praying. Look what happens. Verse 15. 
In those days, and, and it's, a, it's a great little phrase, because Luke is very particular about his wording. He is a very detailed dude. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, you look at the book of Acts, he doesn't just kind of mince words. He is very particular. He's a doctor. Right? He's not like, oh, let's just operate on this guy. You know, going to go. He, he's specific. But at this point, he says, in those days. And my question is, which day? Day one? Day four? Day seven? Day nine? Right, which day? He doesn't say, which makes me think it's not day one, because he would say the next day, probably. So in the context of them what? Of them praying together, just kind of days in, they've been praying, what happens? Something amazing happens. Peter is like, I should have had a V8. Uh, what, what was I thinking? I, I, now I get it. Peter stands up in, among the brothers in the company of persons, there was 120, and he says, brothers, it's like a light bulb goes off. I, I get it, y'all, if he was, he was here. Y'all, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. They got Judas on the brain right now. They've been thinking about Judas. Judas is, a, is the elephant in the room. That he's not there is a big deal for them. And they're like, oh. He's like, why didn't I see this before? The scripture, it had to be fulfilled. And notice what he says about the scripture, by the way. What is the source of scripture? The Holy Spirit. David is the mouthpiece. The Spirit is the source. The same thing Peter says in, in 2 Peter, that men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's the same thing that Paul says, Scripture is God-breathed. The source of Scripture is the Spirit, even though he uses man as a mouthpiece. He said, this is what David was saying. Oh, why didn't I see it before? Why didn't we see it? I'll tell you why. Because he completely rips two psalms, just a little phrase here and a phrase here. There is no way I've looked at it this week. There is no way, if, the, if it's not God doing this, that he comes up with this. There's no way. Because you read the Psalms that this comes from, two random Psalms, and you're like, how did he get Judas out of that? Because God, the Holy Spirit, illumined it to him because he's been praying and because he's been listening. I said, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke about. This is, this is all, this is, it was all there. He was numbered among us. He was allotted in the share. And he goes, and you can go down to verse 20, two, two random passages out of the Psalms. May his camp become desolate and there be... No one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Not even the same psalm. He's like, oh, now I see it. I get it now. Why? Because they are praying. And secondly, it's because they're listening. They're at a place where they are listening. And when you are in a position of waiting and you are seeking and you are praying, the second thing we do is we listen. Three myths that we all believe about ourselves. Number one, that we're all good drivers. Not true. I can tell you. Number two, that you have a good sense of humor. Everyone thinks they have a good sense of humor. Oh, I have a good sense of humor. No, you don't. You can laugh, but you can't tell a joke, okay? And thirdly, third myth we all believe is that we are good listeners, especially the men. I'm a good listener. Ask my wife right? It's a reality. This is, I'm convinced. It doesn't say it. This is why the women are there, by the way. I'm telling you. If it was just the 11 up there, all right, guys, Jesus said witnesses. What are we going to do? They're going to draw it up. They're drawing, oh, we're going to do this, this. And Mary's back there saying, you remember what my son said? Wait. She's doing it nice and sweet because she's the Virgin Mary and she's got her hand like this because all the pictures have her like this, right? But she's saying, listen, right? Right? Listen, we don't listen. We want to do, we want to fix. Men want to 
fix everything. And so their wives are telling them what's going on in their life. And they've already, you're already thinking about, what oh, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to fix this for her. And I'm going to make it all better by dinner. And I'm not going to have to deal with it again. That's what we're doing. And if you just be quiet and don't say anything, at the end, she'll be like, oh, he really loves me. He just listened to me. That's all you have to do. That's a secret, man. Just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Nod and you're gold. Right? Because we want to fix and we want to do and we never listen. And these guys are listening in the context of listening. God reveals to Peter, this is what was supposed to happen all along. Two things that are required to be a good listener. Number one, you don't talk. Number two, time. Don't be in a rush. Two things. If you're talking and you're in a rush, you will not hear. You just won't. And this is what I challenged the earlier services with, and I'm going to challenge you guys as well. This week, I want you to take one, one time, just one time do this. 30 minutes, minimum 30 minutes. Get out just a journal of some kind, maybe a piece of paper if you're not a journaler. Get that out, your pen, and open your Bible. Maybe, you're, maybe you have a devotional, my upmove for his highest, whatever it is. And just sit there, and just like Samuel said when he was a little boy in the temple, here I am, Lord, speak. Your, your servant's listening. And then be quiet and just read and write and read and listen. Don't talk. Turn off Twitter. Turn off Instagram. Turn off your Facebook. Turn off the music. Turn off everything and just be quiet. Can you do that for 30 minutes this week? And I'm not talking 30. All right, ready, God? You got 30 minutes. Ready, go. You got 17 minutes left, God. Speak. I'm here. Your servant's listening. I'm not talking about that. If you think, I got four kids, there's no way I can get quiet in my house, then you send your husband out to the DQ with the kids and give yourself some time. Say, hug me. Pastor Bill said that you're supposed to take the kids, so take them. And if he doesn't take them, call me, all right? We'll, get, we'll take care of it. But you just spend a little time. See, can you think about this? We got, I don't know how many adults we have at this place, 700, 800 adults on any given Sunday. Can you imagine if seven, 800 adults are going to get alone with their Savior and say, God, speak to me this week at some point? Just speak to me. Can you imagine the things that God might show us in the scripture? Can you imagine the things he might want to impress upon your heart this week? Can you, it's exciting to think about what God might do in a week if we would just listen. Are you willing to do that this week? Especially if you're waiting. Especially if you're in that time of what's next, God? What, why aren't you answering this? Because God might be teaching you, I'm trying to get you to trust me. I'm trying to get you to, to not go ahead and knock down these walls because you're always blowing stuff up. I got to fix. I'm trying to get you to, to be like my son. Right? Are you willing to listen this week to deal with that situation? And they're waiting, they're praying. And, and again, they're, they got Judas on the brain, right? They're thinking about Judas. That's what they've been talking about, that's what they've been wrestling with. And I want you to understand it's easy to think of Judas. Judas is like, you know, this, it's, it's obviously, it's the last 2,000 years. You, you won't find too many kids named Judas. I mean, you're not going to find too many Adolphs or any Judases. I mean, you're not going to find them, right? I'm going to name my kid Judas. Oh, that's great. Why? Because he's, he's the betrayer. But understand, that's not the way it started. You, it's easy to think he's kind of like the redheaded stepchild. He's the guy. He's the reject of the group. He's always on the out. He's the last kid picked to play kickball with the disciples. It's really easy to think that, right? But that's not the way it was. He was one of the boys. 
They spent three and a half years eating together and laughing together and following Jesus and hearing him and learning and praying and sleeping out under the stars. They were boys. And he was trusted. He was probably number four in line. You get the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He, he was the, the money dude. You don't give the reject the money. He was trusted. There was friendship. And he betrayed them. And he betrayed Jesus. And there's not one of us here that don't know what it's like to be betrayed and hurt. And there's not one of us here who have not done it to someone else in some capacity. It's real easy to say, you know what? I can't believe that he would do that, that Judas. Three and a half years with Jesus and he betrays him with a kiss, with a symbol of, the very symbol of love and intimacy and friendship and he betrayed. I would never do that. We are more like Judas, some of us, than we know. Because Judas, you know what Judas was? Judas was a user. That's what Judas was. Judas wanted to use Jesus to get something. He wanted money. He loved money. It's one thing he wanted. And so there's an instance where Jesus is anointed with this, this expensive bottle of perfume, and, and G- Judas gets all mad. He's like, we should have sold this thing and gave it to the poor. And it's not that he cared about the poor. He just wanted money because he used to steal from the money box, stealing from Jesus. He wanted power. Jesus offered thrones. You guys are going to sit on 12 thrones. That sounds like a good deal. He's doing miracles. I get to be close to the guy that's doing these miracles. And ultimately, what did he want? He wanted a physical deliverer to knock Rome out of the ballpark so that they could be back. And the kingdom was here, right? That's what he wanted. And so when Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give myself up. I'm going to die. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I signed up for. You mean you're telling me I've wasted three and a half years of my life following a guy who's going to give himself up? Well, daggone, I might as well get something out of this deal until he sells them for 30 pieces of silver. Because he's a user, right? And it is a huge problem in the American church. We have users all over the place, right? I'll come to church, I'll sing the songs, I'll give them a check, I'll read my Bible, and God, since I've done my part now, what do you have to do? I don't want cancer, I don't want rebellious kids, I want 2.5 of them with a dog, and a minivan. That's what I want. I've done my part. Now, God, you fill in the blank. You do your part. You know, I want to live to 80. I want to have a good retirement. I want to have good this, get good grandkids. I do my part. You do your part, God. That's using God. Right? And we see it all the time. God is a, a strategy to get what we want. I'm here because, you know what? I'm a single guy. I'm looking for a girl. I hear CBC's got some young girls. So I'll come to church. Right? I'll come to feel good about myself. Yeah, I'll go to church and do it. Right? Maybe if I go to church, God will make my, maybe I'll get a promotion. Do my part. He does his part. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. God's help those who get, helps himself. He's just like Judas. And the church is filled with them. The people who play the game, who can speak the speak, and they're lost. Judas was lost. He is proof positive that faith can be faked, that the spiritual life can be faked. And I would be foolish to think, y'all, with almost a thousand people, that we don't have some folks that fake. We were faking it. We were going through the motions. Right? Judas is a fake. And, and he's not a fake because he betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus. 
He's shown to be a fake by how he responds. What does he do? He goes and tries to fix his deal and, oh, I'll go fix this thing. What is, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? One of them runs to the foot, feet of Jesus and one of them runs away. One of them comes and eventually says, I love you three times. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And ultimately repents. The other one tries to go manage it and try to fix it and feels guilty, but never actually runs to Jesus. One has an encounter with the living Christ. The other runs from him. And it is a difference of eternity because Judas is in hell. Jesus says it would be better that he was not born. Right? Better that he's not born. He, that Satan literally entered him, that he was a devil, and he was there. He was the chief deacon. He was there the whole time. And so the question you got to ask, y'all, every single one of you, is that have you had an encounter with the living Christ? Have you cast your sin at his feet and say, please forgive me, I am a, I am a betrayer, just like Peter, and I deserve death but I believe in you that you died and rose again and you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Not your church, not your baptism, not your I did this, I go to CBC, blah, blah, blah. That's Judas. That is emptiness. We don't want any fakers. We don't want any users because what happens when, when Jesus lets you down and cancer comes or the job ends or something happens, you put all your eggs in that basket and God didn't do what he was supposed to do and you end up just like Judas. Delusionment. And so what does he do in his delusionment? He kills himself. Right? And, and, and Luke gives all the details. He says, now this man, he acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama. That is, the field of blood. So here, here's where some of the, the, the folks that don't believe in Scripture are ah, ha, 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 Christian. Matthew says Judas hung himself. Luke says that he all guts it out in the field. Now, which one is it? See, you Christians, there's contradictions all through Scripture. Which one is it? Is Matthew right or Luke? They're both right. Why? Because the source of Scripture is what? The Spirit, who is truth. So Matthew gives the beginning apart that he goes to hang himself, and whether he was successful or not, maybe he hangs himself, he dies, and eventually the rope breaks or the tree that he hung break, and boop, he falls down and busts out out. Or maybe he fails, he tries to hang himself, and he busts out in the middle of it. Or maybe he hangs himself, and when they come to cut him down, he busts all out in the rocks. Either way, they're both true because they're scripture. I know, it's great, isn't it? It's good stuff. That's I'm Dr. Luke, man. He's that guy in 10th grade. He just loved to dissect the frog. Everyone else is like, ah, and he's like, ah, oh, this is awesome, man. That's Luke. He gives you all the gory details. But it becomes famous what, Jude, what, what Judas did so that they, they, the priests, who so we threw the money back at him, they go and have to buy a field with his blood money. They call it the field of blood. It becomes infamous in Jerusalem of what he did. Right? Because he was disillusioned. And so here's the disciples. They know God has revealed to Peter, let another take his office. All right? So how do we do that? Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Scripture says, let another take his office. Jesus says there's 12 thrones. We only got 11 guys. Some would say the apostle Paul should have taken the place. I would disagree. 
All right, I think that Luke has not highlighted anything here that, that these guys are doing wrong. So they say, hey, got to find a replacement. Well, here's a replacement. All right, we got to find a guy who was there from the beginning when he was baptized by John all the way to the end and saw his resurrection. If he's going to be a, an apostle, if he's going to be a witness of this, he's got to have seen the whole deal. They got 120 people, only two guys meet the qualifications. So they put forward two. Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. We got two guys, both qualified. One of them's going to be an apostle. What do we do? How do we discover? What do we do? We interview him. We say, where'd you go to seminary? Oh, I went to this seminary. How do we determine which one is the apostle? I love it. They prayed. They pray again. Lord, you who know the hearts of all. And they speak to Jesus. I love this. You. It's as if he's in the room. Jesus, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you've chosen to take the place of the ministry and apostleship from what Judas turned aside to go to his place. Show us, Jesus, which one you want. Here's the cool thing that you have to think about. These guys, the whole time, Matthias and Justice are both following Jesus, and Jesus knows which one of them is going to eventually be a disciple, but he doesn't tell them. It's kind of like, ah, oh, I know, but he's not going to tell them later. Right? The whole time, he's there. And so what do they do? They pray and they love this, and you got to own it with all its glory. And then they cast lots for them. They roll the dice, literally. I want sixes the hard way. You know, kind of go, right? They, they, they cast lots, which probably looks something like putting two names on two rocks and putting it in a bag and kind of taking one out. Right? This is not, by the way, a good way to make decisions these days. Should I marry Mary or Joni? Ready? Woo! Roll the dice. That was Joni. Woo! Georgia, Georgia Tech. You know, kind of roll the dice. What should we do? So why, is it, why do they do it? Remember, the spirit had not yet come. You never see this again in all the book of Acts. When Paul's like, should I go over here or go over here? The spirit goes, go over here. Once the spirit comes, he leads them in, in all these decisions. But at this point, he's not there. And they're still, they're still trusting in their Old Testament where the proverb says that the lot is cast into the lap at every decision from the Lord. They pray. They say, Lord, you know you are sovereign even over these two, these two lots. Let's pull it in, pull it out. And they cast lots and Matthias is in and justice is out. If you're justice, you're like, man, I was really close. Oh, if I just want to roll one more time, I would have been in. I would have got thrown, right? But there it is. Matthias is added, and we know nothing about the guy. Church history says he went to northern Africa and was martyred. But that's what happens. They just obey the next thing. Doesn't solve the big issue. What are we, what are we doing with the spirit? When's that coming? But they do the next thing. And here's the last thing for us this morning. We pray, we listen, and when God speaks, when he impresses something on our heart, we just do the next thing. Do the next thing. What's the next thing? The psalm says, let another take his office. We just find another guy. That's the next thing. What's the next thing for some of you? The next thing for some of you is to go home and pray with your 17-year-old tonight. That's the next thing. The next thing for some of you is get the iPhone out right now. Bill said it's been 30 minutes. And if it takes you putting it on the calendar and reminding yourself, Tuesday morning, I have a 30-minute window. Here it is. I'm going I'm to do that. Maybe the next thing is you know that person in your community group hasn't been in three weeks, and you know God's putting them on your heart, and you haven't called them. And you're thinking, well, you know, I just... No, the next thing is for you to call them. Because if God is putting them on your heart, then God is moving on their heart at the same time, and he's wanting you to be part of that deal. Maybe the next thing for some of you is stop playing video games at three in the morning, 24-year-old guy. 
to get off Instagram and Facebook and Farmville Part 9 and spending your time doing all these things that are just wasting it. No one cares about your tomato crop. He's not even feeding anybody, really. What's the next thing? I don't know. But if God is impressing it upon you, then do it. And don't expect to get this great thing. If you don't respond to the light that God has given you, is he going to give you the next thing? Do, do the next thing. Right? Do that next thing. Start, husbands, you be the instigator, honey. Let's pray. That's the next thing. You know you're in debt up to your eyeballs. The next thing is going out the door and cutting the credit card up. You know you have some marital issues. It's calling the church and, and, and getting uh, a set up a counseling appointment or getting into a community group because you know you know nobody and you're just kind of out there on your own. That's the next thing. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, whatever God impresses on your heart, whenever you're sitting there this week and you got your journal out and you're just listening, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's the next thing. That's what we do when we wait. Look, waiting stinks. It does. Whether it's waiting on Duran or waiting for cancer to be healed or waiting for whatever. But God is doing something in our waiting. He does something in waiting. He makes us more like Christ. And you know what? I, I was thinking about this last night as I was just kind of praying through this text again one more time. You know, our God is a waiting God. God, for 23 years, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew the truth, but I was a Judas. I was a faker. And for 23 years, God waited for me. Right? He waited, and I did some stupid things. Still do, but now I'm forgiven. But it just he's a waiting God. And he waited for some of y'all. Years. How many of your husbands, your wives, prayed for you? You're finally here. Some of you teenagers, parents praying for you. He's a waiting God. And sometimes he's teaching us to wait. So we wait. Right? And we learn. And he sharpens us and he shapes us. Because look, they wait, they pray, and what happens? Boom, something great happens. And we'll see it next week. The spirit comes. You don't know. You, could, you might be waiting and tomorrow could be the, the breakthrough day that you've been praying for for two years. You don't know. Right? So just keep being patient and keep waiting and let God move and shape you into the image of his son. Let's stand and let's sing. Father in heaven, by your spirit, help us to wait. Help us to listen. Help us to learn. Lord, some of us are so arrogant in our hearts that we're not willing to listen. Just break the pride, break the hardness, and teach us to be dependent on you, Lord. May we be a people who listen, who pray, and who simply step out and obey what you've called us to do. We want to be your witnesses. We know we cannot do it apart from you. We need your, your spirit to fill us, empower us. I pray that he would again fall fresh in us, even as we sing, as we worship, that we respond in a spirit-filled way as we exalt the risen Christ. And as we leave, be glorified, be magnified, Lord Jesus, our high King of heaven. It's in your name we pray.